Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. And appropriately today, and for the first time, we're talking with a student for our interview, and today I'm talking to Daisy Jeffrey, who's a young woman on a mission to save her generation from climate change. Daisy's a Year 12 student at Sydney's Conservatorium High School, and today we're going to talk about her journey... Uh, her life at the con, but also the importance of student voice. Welcome, Daisy. Tell us a bit about yourself. You're in Year 12 at the Conservatory? Yeah, uh, I'm in Year 12. Um, I'm also a climate activist, uh, and um, I suppose I play cello. I'm 17, and really, I think that's all there is to it. Uh, but there's quite a bit to it, so we'll get into a, a bit of detail on it. You, you don't get into the conservatorium unless you're pretty good at the cello. How long have you been playing the cello for? I think coming up to 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, I've just had such an incredible experience. Um, big shout out to the arts unit. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am without the arts unit, without the um, lessons in ensemble playing and uh, without the incredible um, tutelage that I had the great opportunity um, to receive there. So, yeah. So let's talk a bit more about your educational experience. You're, you're at the con. You know, are, are there teachers that have inspired you along the way and have they done that? Yeah, there are teachers who inspire me by encouraging me to push higher. Um, we're really lucky to have small classes at the con, um, which allow teachers to spend more time on the individual student. Uh, particular teachers that have inspired me are uh, my modern history teacher, Mr. Owens, and my English teacher, Ms. Garnsey. Um, really uh, great, really amazing teachers. One of the reasons I suppose we're talking with you today and, and the, one of the reasons you've generated really quite a lot of attention is because of your leadership around climate change and climate change is an issue. And we'll explore that in a little bit of depth. But there's been this interesting debate, I think, around the climate, uh, coverage of the climate issue, student protests and the like around um, student voice and the importance and the role of student voice in these matters of great public discourse and these matters of great public change. Some would say you're not even voting yet, uh, nor paying many taxes. Why, why is it important to be listening to student voice now? Because we, are, we thought we, our generation would be the first really affected by climate change, but we're actually seeing the current generations across Australia and across the globe um, being uh, experiencing the effects of a changing climate, a rapidly changing climate. But for young people, this we're looking forward to the rest of our lives. And what we're doing now, particularly as we grow up and we leave school or we start to, um, and we go into uni, we're really thinking about the world that we want to live in and what kind of world do we want to leave for our kids. And for us, we don't really have a choice. We have to be out on the streets. Um, we have to use our voice because currently no one else is doing it for us and we're not seeing leadership take adequate action to address uh, this ever-changing climate. So when you say no one is doing it for you, are you concerned that those who are advocating for stronger action on climate change do not reflect the interests of young people or do not talk about the interests of young people enough? When you're talking about people who are advocating, are you talking about people within politics? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose I suppose what I'm saying, as I heard you there, you said, look, we have to speak up because no one's really speaking for yeah. us. 
And so I'm interested whether, in fact, your read of uh, politics as it's currently being played um, and politics are, yeah, as played by kind of adult politicians, if you like, is not really reflecting the interests or the demands of the voice of young people. Well, I won't mince words. I think it's appalling. Um, you know, in federal parliament, uh, there's a reason that some people call it capital kindy. Uh, the amount of debating and, you know, just the petty arguments that go on surrounding personal political gain or just um, complete denialism uh, when it comes to the science. I think is ridiculous and I think it presents a false two-sided debate that is only elevated by part of the media um, and so that's really problematic and we're relying on personal bias and uh, you know religious beliefs to determine where we go on climate uh, which is a really worrying thing for young people um, but just also for general society. And, and, and as you've got into this to what extent have you found yourself, in a sense, reading and studying and thinking and debating yourself around some of the complex public policy issues that underpin all of this? So I've learnt an incredible uh, amount just being in the climate movement um, outside of school. It's been a really uh, amazing experience. And so when I came into the movement uh, on November 30th, 2018, all I wanted was action on the science. I wanted climate action. And now what I'm demanding is climate justice. And those two things are different. They're not mutually exclusive, but the difference is that climate action frames climate change as a purely scientific issue, uh, whereas climate justice frames climate change as a, socially, uh, as a social and political, um, basically an ethical um, you know, uh, issue. So for me, and that change came from talking to First Nations activists um, from across the globe, uh, talking to people who live in the global south. And when I talk about the global south, what I'm referring to is essentially developing nations. Uh, my friend Vanessa, she lives in Uganda, and there she said that people's voices across the African continent are just not being heard. And so for people like me, the climate movement can often come across as quite white-centric. Um, and when I say white-centric, it's because the media tends to essentially whitewash our movement and it elevates the voices of white inner-city women, such as myself, such as Greta Thunberg, who's been amazing. She has been a catalyst for the climate movement. Um, but for me, what's really important for me to use my privilege to do is to advocate and elevate these voices that would not be heard otherwise. You know, the, the, the climate debate in Australia focuses a lot on coal, the coal industry, the jobs of coal minders. Now, as I understand it, your grandfather worked in the coal yeah. industry. So how has that influenced the way you think through and reflect on the impact of these issues on families and communities and individual people? Uh, so my granddad came out from the UK in the uh, late 70s with my Hungarian grandmother and my dad, his sister, and my granddad's two stepkids. And, you know, he'd worked around the world to make coal mines safer. And so when he was made redundant, his, you know, his experience, his identity, you know, it suddenly meant nothing. And he was, you know, following a pretty dramatic divorce, now a single father providing for two kids. And, you know, for me, I've heard stories from my dad 
Um, and But also from my granddad. My granddad had dementia. And so when I was in year four and five, we used to sit down on our sofa at home and he would tell me basically the same story over and over again, you know, stories about his time down in the mines. And so for me, you know, for him even to the end to still be talking about something he hadn't done for over 30 years was, you know, really spoke to me about just how important it was to him and it just had been his livelihood and so for me when we talk about moving from fossil fuels to renewable energy a just transition is incredibly important um i should probably explain what a just transition is because most people um don't know uh it's um essentially it's providing a safe pathway and there are multiple pathways um for workers out of the fossil fuel industry and into alternative industries and it's not an easy process um it's not going to leave everyone happy uh it's going to be expensive um i don't want to sugarcoat it but the but the thing is is that we do need to transition from the fossil fuel industry and what we're seeing right now is that neither major party are actually bringing a just transition policy to the table and that's something that uh, i've talked to the unions about i've talked to other activist groups about and there's this rift between workers in the fossil fuel industry and the climate movement because of this miscommunication that's taken place. On both sides, there are good intentions. There are people who just want to keep food on the table and they want to have a job and they want to keep their identity. Um, you know, and so, some people in the fossil fuel industry are wanting to move from coal, or they not wanting to move from coal, but they know we need to move from coal, gas and oil. Um, and then there are people in the climate movement who also know that we need to move to renewable energy. And so it's about you know, um, building a bridge over that hostility and finding a way forward together. You know, um, there have always been issues that have caused concern for young people. There have always been, in a sense, student uh, protesters. Um, It's one thing to actually, you know, protest and join a movement. It's another thing to kind of get to leadership of that movement and for a a student at a Sydney high school to be attending international forums and meeting global leaders around this. Let, let's explore a little bit about your your journey through the climate change movement. I mean, you named the date earlier where, where it started. How did you begin to get uh, involved? I sent a message over Facebook. Um, I sent a message to the school strike, a Facebook group, and I was really desperate to get involved. So as soon I heard about it, um, I heard about the strike about a week before it happened. And you know, I got up at the assembly, I mentioned it, um, you know, I brought a sign-up sheet around at my school, I got kids involved, and on the day, you know, we walked up to Martin Place and we turned the corner and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. You know, it, you know, a bunch of uniforms, kids, like really optimistic, sweaty, disgusting teenagers, you know, together. And, you know, of course, in schools, you're always going to have the social hierarchies and whatever, but, you know, in that moment and in, the, in that couple of hours, it was all gone. People were standing together in solidarity because they knew and know that we need action on climate. And so it really inspired me to um, get uh, more involved. And so ever since I've uh, <laughs> been working my butt off um, to help the cause, uh, and, you know, working with students um, as well as learning how to uh, learning different ways of diplomacy, um, particularly in terms of establishing myself in a room full of adults. Um, 
and different audiences and so it's been it, it's been really incredible um but it's we've still got so far to go and sometimes uh, that's a really difficult thing to face the fact that we are still so far from adequate action on climate you um you ended up in madrid at the un climate change conference with a hundred other student climate activists tell us about that experience um it was absolutely incredible uh i was fortunate enough to be offered a place um, at the conference uh, about three weeks before it happened. And so um, I was lucky enough to travel over to Madrid and meet these incredible scientists, the top climate scientists in the world, uh, these amazing uh, kids in the school strike movement who'd put school on hold, put their education on hold. We were still learning so much, but just in a different environment. Um, And... Uh, to really see international um, politics in action, um, which I have to say I was bitterly disappointed by. Um, We were there to witness the world come together and try to actually come to an agreement on what to do in terms of climate action and climate justice. And essentially from the young people's perspective, and in, in, in a sense we had indigenous people and young people were essentially, people wanted to shut us out of the conference. And uh, for why, why was that? Do you think because we're troublemakers? <laughs> um, you know, we want to make our voice heard. Uh, for Indigenous people, the um, particularly uh, Western Europe Eurocentric, um, almost colonialist perspective on things, um, it makes it it makes some people feel like they have the right to shut out Indigenous voices. Um, when Indigenous people have been on their land for tens of thousands of years, um, particularly here in Australia, we just saw with the fires um, that people are now looking to uh, Indigenous Australians for, um, you know, for their cultural backburning. And so to shut out those voices as well as the people who are going to live in the world that the adults are leaving for us, Um, I think was uh, a really dangerous thing to do and it was quite scary and it was very disappointing for us and you know for us we left that conference absolutely gutted gutted. Um, you know coming back to Australia it was very hard for us to feel any hope because these countries had not come to an agreement it was richer countries bullying poorer countries Um, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this on this interview but Australia essentially tried to get out of taking action on climate uh, by using the Kyoto credits, um, basically to carry over a lack of action. And there was a lot of talk about carbon neutrality, um, which is essentially uh, a poor, you know, um, different countries may work really hard to go carbon negative, um, whereas, say, Australia could keep, you know, could potentially keep emitting the same amount of carbon that it always has been. Carbon neutral doesn't mean zero zero carbon it just means that we're burning the same amount that we are right now in the future you mentioned the word hope and how it was hard to come back full of hope after that uh somewhat bruising experience in the global political stage Uh, but you've been thinking a bit about hope in fact you've got a book coming out in april part of the on series uh published by hachette now uh, and your title is called on hope So tell us what we can expect when we read that. Um, You can expect a bit of an exploration of the climate movement as well as young people's voice um, and what that means. Uh, But also, you know, particularly the word hope. 
and what that means to young people and what it means when people say you know that word to us because um, people do say that don't they they yeah. say oh well great seeing all those young student protesters that gives us hope how do you feel when someone says uh you know that you give us hope really annoys me um i used to appreciate it yeah. and uh why does it annoy you now it annoys me because you know you can tell a young person that they give you hope adults tell us that young people give them hope that we're going to lead the change um but the reality is is that we're still in school most of us can't vote um so do you feel it's like a buck passing yeah almost and what we really need is you know hope is a useless little four-letter word unless accompanied by action and so what we need is for adults to add their voice to ours and apply their intellect um and their courage and we need people to stand with us because unless we build this movement to include people of all ages, of all backgrounds, uh, we're not going to get the action that we desperately need to see. Do you think um, seeing all those school students out on the street has had an impact on the climate change uh, debate and discourse in Australia? Just the sheer impact of the volume of students and uh, the passion and engagement shown? I think the youth climate movement has been a catalyst in reorienting the conversation around climate change. Um, uh, I think it's been really incredible to see school students. We're used to seeing uni students go out into the streets to challenge injustice, not so much school students. Um, And to see young people, uh, particularly with the last strike on September 20th, uh, to actually see people of all ages join us at that strike. Uh, was a real sign that this movement is just going to keep building. Um, and however, we're still not seeing the action that we need to see. And over the summer holidays, with the bushfire crisis and you know the rain has provided um, a brief, much needed relief, but also caused some serious flooding. And this just in crazy drought and you know weather that we're experiencing, I think has done a lot to. Uh, reorient people's reorient like people's thinking around climate i I mean a way the way i kind of look at it a bit i think if you go back a a decade or more when you know probably before you'd even started school you know at the time of the last big drought in australia the al gore movie there was a lot of interest but then uh things moved on and the debate moved on to a degree but certainly the galvanizing effect of this summer fires floods droughts Extreme on the back of, I think, last year and the attention that's come through last year, it's clearly an issue that a lot of people are talking about now. You're talking about uh, youth leadership and youth voices. You know, we can't let this conversation end without talking about Greta Thunberg and her leadership. Now, you've, you came across her at the, at the global conference. Reflect on that experience, but also reflect on um, her leadership role and, and, and what she stands for and what she's achieved. I think she's amazing. Uh, she's, but she's also just a young woman, a young girl who is trying to change the world. And she didn't ask for, you know, she didn't ask to be the face of the climate movement. In fact, I don't think she really likes it, but she's taken on that burden because she doesn't have any other choice. Um, and so her life is 
you know, she's constantly mobbed by journalists. Um, and She's a big global figure now. She's she? a big global figure, and I think that really happened at the New York UN Climate Conference yeah. last year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just, it, you know, meeting her was an incredible experience, and she uh, and she's awesome, but I just get the sense that she's really tired. And so for um, and it feels sometimes like the world is kind of pushing down on her. Um, and when we were at the con- when we were at the conference, she kept trying to elevate other voices. And so she'd go to a press conference and she'd bring voices that you know from the global south that wouldn't necessarily be heard to try and elevate those voices and get those stories out into the world. But the media, you know, Greta would say three words. And, you know, everyone would tell these absolutely phenomenal, you know, horrific stories. And then you'd look at the newspapers or the online articles the next day and the only three words you'd see would be from Greta. I mean, there was one press conference where Greta admonished the media for how they'd been reporting on her instead of the other activists. And then everyone else told their story and the next day the only thing they reported was her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you sound... um you know, you, you look at that and you look at media coverage of that, I suppose, you look at media coverage of these kind of events yeah. in Australia. Does it does it wear you down? How, how do you keep your confidence and optimism? You, you've got a determination for change. Do you, do you find yourself having to rally yourself to be optimistic for change and having hope yourself that that indeed we can come to terms with some of these intractable issues i mean it's difficult to have hope all the time uh but i find hope in the other kids who are part of the climate movement i think we all help each other um and i think the idea that we're all working towards this when someone new joins the movement or not necessarily joins the movement but publicly says you know is advocating for action on climate that gives me hope the fact that people are still joining this movement um the fact that we have Uh, I think it's very difficult, uh, it's very easy to dismiss the idea of something, particularly climate change, from your mind uh, when you're not directly being affected by it. So if you, in this moment moment right now, are safe and you're not feeling the impacts, it's very easy to just dismiss it. Whereas I think over this summer, because so much of Australia was drastically affected by uh, the multiple crises that we've had, but particularly the bushfires. I think we're now seeing Australians stand up and say, actually, no, we really do need action. And, and, and I've been reflecting, I think, think that that's what will make this year interesting. I mean, even last weekend, I felt around Sydney, it was the first weekend we'd had in summer, really, with blue sky was warm, there was no smoke in the air, the rain had fallen, the dams are full around Sydney again. And, and you just wondered whether, in fact with those visible signs of the earth under stress um, moving away, whether people's attention to the issue moves away or not, or whether, in fact, this summer proved to be the summer that really changed the the discourse and the engagement. I I suspect time will tell us that. Talking about the year ahead, though, it's a big year for you. Uh, Every parent, every adult would say to you, Daisy, it's your HSC year, uh, and it's all ahead of you. How do you juggle this kind of passion, commitment, and the important work you're doing within a sense that responsibility that, you know, this is the HSC and you've got to give that a great, 
crack as well. How are you, how are you juggling all that? I'll be honest, it's impossible. Um, it, I mean, it suddenly feels that way. Uh, you know, however, having said that, you know, I've got HSC and I have activism. I know some kids have HSC and 20 hours of sport every week. Yeah. Um, you know, or and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Had to put restrictions on my social media yeah. and all that sort of thing to help myself stay on track. Um, but I think it's really about trying to find a balance. So for me, there are some leadership, uh, there are some, you know, more nitty gritty logistics things that I will, you know, that I have stepped back from this year because there are so many kids in the climate movement who are amazing and capable of taking those tasks on and I just simply don't have the time. I do want to do well in my HSC. Um, however, I also have to keep advocating for climate justice. Um, and so I'm still navigating that. I'm in my uh, fourth week of school um, right now. And so I'm, you know, uh, I'm still trying to manage it as time goes on. And um, what about afterwards? Uh, everyone asks every HSC student this question, you know. So, you know, you get through the HSC, you do wonderfully well. Um, then what opens up for you? Do you have thoughts about that? I feel like this happens to... Uh, kids are treated, you know, like they're babies up until they're 16. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what yeah. the world, you know, wants from you. And then the moment we turn 16, everyone's like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Um, uh, you know, my only really clear picture is that I want to help people. Um, so whether I do a Bachelor of Arts in Politics, Economics and Philosophy at uni whether I take a gap year, it's all on the cards. Um, but the one really clear picture in my mind is that I need to help people. Um, and so however I can do that is uh, what I'll have to figure out over the next you know, few months, couple of years. Well, uh, Daisy Jeffrey, um, student leader, activist, author, HSC student, Thanks for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email every student podcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again and I'll catch you next time.